Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to award-winning Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old-school basketball to a new-school audience. And today, we're bringing the story of Pistol Pete Maravich. He was one of the greatest and most influential point guards in basketball history. This is going to be our first three-part story. In today's episode, we will cover the Pistol's family and his childhood through high school. Our second episode will cover his time at Louisiana State University, while the third episode will cover his NBA career and retirement. The reason that we had to push this to three episodes is because there is so much to his story. I mean, we could have just covered the playing career of Pistol Pete, but that would be just scratching the surface. We wanted to cover the life of Pistol Pete Maravich. His story is very complicated and much of what happened on the court is a result of what was going on in his life off the court. The Pistol Pete story is a story of anguish and sadness, but also of potential and ultimately redemption. Pistol Pete only played 10 seasons in the NBA, and he was a five-time All-Star, four-time All-NBA, the 1977 league scoring leader, and a Hall of Famer. He made the 50 greatest players list in 1996 and the NBA 75th anniversary list. When you ask Isaiah Thomas who his favorite player was, it was Pistol Pete. The long hair, the floppy socks, the entire package broke the mold of what traditionalists thought an NBA player should be and look like. But to fully understand Pistol Pete, you have to understand his father, Press Maravich. Press was born Peter Maravich. That is Peter spelled P-E-T-A-R, which is the Serbian spelling. The Maravich family came to the United States from Serbia, along with a bunch of other Eastern Europeans, to Western Pennsylvania. Press was born on August 29, 1915 in Aliquippa, Pennsylvania. He was born to hardworking blue-collar parents. He was the fifth child born in his family. However, he was the first child in his family to reach his third birthday. All four of his older siblings died in infancy. Just about every adult male in their community worked at a steel mill. About the only men in their area who did not work for the mills were teachers or police officers. It was a type of environment where if you were not fortunate enough to go to college, then you would probably end up working in the mills for the rest of your life. Now, I'm not trying to insult blue-collar work. Both of my parents were blue-collar workers, and I have a deep respect for those that work in that type of environment. Working in the mills was not easy. It was hot, dirty work, and it was risky. In fact, it was so dangerous that Press's own father was killed in a workplace accident when Press was only three and a half years old. For a little while, it was just he and his mother as his siblings had all passed away. Growing up without a father impacted him deeply, and would affect how he parented his own children someday. However, his mother did remarry and Press had two younger half-brothers. His younger brothers received most of the attention and Press was more or less left to his own devices. As a young boy, he earned the nickname Press and I found two stories regarding how he got that nickname. I will share both stories and let you decide which one you want to go with. 
The first story said that he was a paperboy delivering papers for the Pittsburgh Press, one of the major afternoon newspapers in his area. The story went that he was so good at selling and delivering newspapers that his friends nicknamed him Press. The second story said that he was such a busybody that he always knew everything that was happening in town. If you wanted to know the latest news or gossip, you only needed to find him because he always had the scoop. The story said that he was the source of so much news that he was like talking to the press. Well, however it happened, he happily adopted the name and he was known as Press Maravich for the rest of his life. As a young boy, Press did not like going to school and did not see the point in it. He also had no real guiding force in his life. He floundered and it appeared that he would have no other choice for work except working for the mills, just like his father and his uncles. In middle school, his best friend was named Lazo Maravich. No relation, at least none that they were aware of. The thing is, is that both of their fathers were from the same town in Serbia, so I find it hard to believe that they were not somehow related. But they would just tell people that they were cousins because that was the easiest explanation for why two best friends had the same last name. But in actuality, they were closer than brothers. They went everywhere together. It was around the time that they cemented their friendship that they also found basketball. The local Catholic parish had a gym and the boys could use it all they wanted as long as they helped around the church. And that was an easy deal for them. They played basketball in that gym all the time. It was all they wanted to do when they were not in school. And that's what they wanted to do even when they were in school. Press was not a good student and was put into a program called Special Opportunities. It was basically a program for low performing students and Press was one of the lowest performing students in school. The only good thing that he had in his life was basketball and he was absolutely in love with it. Even in their pickup games, you could already see the mind of a future coach at work. He would draw up plays for his teammates and suggest different ways of putting pressure on the defense. He had a real knack for it and it was obvious. He would call out plays on his youth team in the Serbian language so that the other team could not understand. As Press moved up into high school, the basketball coach took notice of him and wanted him for the varsity. Press was obviously talented and had a motor that just would not quit. He was the kind of player who not only was skilled, but he was also willing to do the dirty work, like die for loose balls and go after every rebound. However, because he was in the Special Opportunities program, he was not eligible to play on any of the sports teams. Sports teams were only for regular students. The coach had him transferred back into the regular student body so that he could play on the basketball team. And it worked. Press knew that basketball was his opportunity to possibly go to college and have a better life. However, it was a struggle. Press had fallen so far behind in his studies because he worked the graveyard shift at the mills full time while still in high school. He still had to make money after all and his family was not wealthy. By the time his high school coach got him transferred in with the regular students as I mentioned, Press was already 18 years old. It basically meant that he was an 18 year old high school freshman. When I was 18, I was a freshman at a university. And Press had no problem with the arrangement because he knew that if he was going to have any future in basketball, it would mean that he would have to go to college. And this was how good Press was. He scored 20 points per game back in the day when entire high school teams had trouble scoring 20 points for the whole game. He was a dominant player. He reached his full size of 6 feet and 185 pounds. And when he finally graduated from high school, he was 22 years old. From there, he made his way to Davis and Elkins College in West Virginia. The year was 1937 and he had made it out of the neighborhood. Very few of his peers had made it out, but he did. He was in college and his future was whatever he could make of it. He would never have to work in the mills again. The mills had already taken his father's life and he did not want the mills to take his life too. 
While he was in college, he would also play in local professional leagues under an assumed name in order to make extra money. By the time he graduated from Davis and Elkins, he was ready to play professional basketball full-time. However, something else happened that would derail his professional career for a while. That event was called World War II. He served two years in the Navy before returning to civilian life. He played hard and made a decent living for himself. And while he was playing ball, he also met and married his wife, Helen. Press and Helen had dated briefly years earlier, but she ended up marrying someone else and had a son named Ronnie. Her first husband was also serving in World War II, but he did not make it home. After a couple of years, Press and Helen rekindled their relationship and got married. And Press loved and doted on Ronnie like he was Press's own son. Press knew what it was like to grow up without his father, and he wanted to make sure that Ronnie got the attention that he deserved. But that would not last long. By the time he got married, Press was already 30 years old and his professional playing career was winding down. The year was now 1946 and Press found out about a brand new professional league forming and the league was putting a team right in Pittsburgh near Aliquippa where he grew up. That league would eventually call itself the NBA and the team was called the Pittsburgh Ironmen. He was 31 years old and played his one and only season in the NBA's first season. The Ironmen would go out of business after just that one year and Press's body had already broken down by then. At first, he did not know what he wanted to do, but then he realized that by getting into coaching, he could stay fully connected to the game that he loved more than life itself. From the NBA, he went back to college and signed on as an assistant coach for Davis and Elkins. That same summer, Helen gave birth to Press's first and only biological son, Peter Press Maravich. The pistol was born on June 22, 1947. He was Press's pride and joy, and very early on in Pete's life, Press decided that he was going to build Pete into the greatest basketball player of all time. That was literally Press's intention for his young boy. For nearly the next 30 years, Press coached basketball at various universities in high school, but what he loved even more than coaching his teams was developing young Pete. Pete got all of the proper coaching and drills that a college player would be getting. By the age of 8 or 9, he was already proficient at a number of dribbling drills. When the Maraviches had company over at the house, Press loved to have Pete show off his dribbling skills for his guests. Press also invited young Pete to come to his college practices and perform drills alongside the college players. Of course, at a young age, Pete was nowhere near the size of the college players, but he was equally skilled. He would win money by betting the college players in shooting contests. Even from the very beginning, Pete could shoot the ball like few other players that ever lived. I mean, just think about it. He was receiving college-level training and development since he was a toddler. By the time that Pete was in high school, Press was known for telling people that Pete would be the first million-dollar basketball player. Press even said this to John Wooden, who happened to be a very good friend from the coaching world, as they often worked summer basketball camps together as instructors for extra money. Young Pete was just as much in love with basketball as Press was. Pete was constantly dribbling the basketball and shooting in the backyard when he was not at practice with one of Press's teams. Press once made Pete dribble the ball out of the car window while Press was driving. The drill was to help Pete keep control of the ball while moving fast. Now there was nothing that Press loved more than making Pete a better player. It was because of Pete that Press basically forgot about his stepson Ronnie. 
It got to the point that even Press's college players had no idea that the coach had an older son because he only ever talked about Pete and Pete was the only one that they ever saw. Even John Wooden was surprised to find out that Press had another son. He once even asked Press about it. He asked Press why he only ever talked about Pete when he also had another son in Ronnie. Of course, the answer was fairly obvious. It was because Ronnie was an above average basketball player, but he was never gonna be an elite player. On the other hand, in the mind of Press Maravich, young Pete was going to be the greatest player of all time. Pete looked up to his dad and wanted to please him. He was obsessed with winning and hated it when he lost. Pete once went out after a loss to dribble in the pouring rain on a dirt court. He figured that if he could maintain his dribble in the mud, then he could maintain his dribble on a proper court. His two big heroes were Oscar Robertson and Jerry West. Pete thought that those were the two best guards in the entire NBA, and he wanted to play against them someday. As Pete reached high school, he continued to impress. He was an absolute scoring machine. He played his first two years of high school in South Carolina while Press was the head coach at Clemson University. But then they moved to North Carolina when Press took over as the head coach at North Carolina State University. Pete played his last two years of high school in North Carolina. As Pete was finishing high school, Pete was highly sought after as a basketball player and was recruited by a lot of different universities. And they all thought that maybe there was a chance that Pete would pick a school other than the one that Press was coaching at. I mean, it was a good effort on the part of those other coaches, but did they really think that they could convince Pistol Pete to play for anyone other than his own father at the college level? These other coaches were at a complete disadvantage because their primary recruiting competition was the boy's father. And boy did Press want to coach Pete. Press knew that with any other school, Pete would have to work his way into another coach's system. But with Press as the coach, Pete was the system. Pete would have free reign to take as many shots as he wanted, and Press was convinced that this would be his best path to the NBA. However, when Pete finished high school, he was still physically quite thin and small. He was still quite a ways away from his full height and weight. Press sent Pete to Edwards Military Academy in North Carolina to spend one year at a prep school to help his body develop before sending him away to college. And it worked. That extra year let Pete's body develop further. But now it was time for Pete to choose a college to spend the next four years getting ready for the NBA. It seemed that he would go to North Carolina State University and play for his father. And that is exactly what North Carolina State thought would happen. But Louisiana State had other ideas. They took a completely different approach to recruiting Pete. They decided to focus their energies into recruiting Press. They pulled out all the stops to offer Press the head coaching job at Louisiana State or LSU. They would practically double the salary that he was getting from North Carolina State and LSU committed to building a brand new state-of-the-art basketball facility. The only thing they needed to know from Press was that he would be able to bring Pete with him. And how could Press say no to that? Pete threatened to go elsewhere because LSU was a football school and they did not care that much about their basketball team and they did not get the same kind of support that the football team got. Uh, he wasn't wrong. LSU is a big football school and that is the team that gets most of the attention. But Press screamed at Pete that if he decided to go elsewhere, he would never be welcomed again in the Maravich home. Pete relented and said that he would go to LSU on one condition, that Press had to buy him a new car. And that is how the deal was done. That is how Press Maravich recruited Pete Maravich to come play for him at Louisiana State. So the entire Maravich family moved to Baton Rouge, Louisiana and LSU. With this move, Pete would grow from becoming a local hero to national fame. 
And that does it for part one of our three-part story on Pistol Pete Maravich. Join us next time when we talk about peacetime at Louisiana State University as the star of the team. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I will also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.